From Westside Church in Bend, Oregon, you're listening to Behind the Message. Each week we take you behind what we teach here at Westside. I'm Ben Fleming. And I'm Evan Earwicker, and we are back with Bo Stern today. Hi, Bo. Hi. We're going to talk more about sex. Whoa, I have so much more to kidding. say. Let's <laughs> Is that coming to the Psalms at all? Is that a... I don't... Wow, I, I don't, don't think it, it does. does. Is that a theme? I don't, I don't no? think it does. Lament. No. It might be the sex. only thing that doesn't come into the Psalms. Interesting. The reason Ben brought that up, of course, is because last time we talked with you, Bo, it was on singleness, and we got a lot of hits, so we're just trying to ride that wave today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, we are in Psalms, and uh, talk to us a little bit, Bo, about um, our thought process in how do we pick a topic for a summer. Uh, I know summertime, you don't really want to go real heavy or deep. Mm-hmm. Not, not not deep, but um, sometimes if you pick a, a sermon series that's a little bit uh, less than light, it can be a little much in the summer. How do we, how do we choose that here at Westside? couple things we do for the summer here at Westside that are probably unique to us but might be helpful um, is that Pastor Steve is usually off in the month of August doing a study break. And so we have guest speakers or people who don't normally speak during the summer often. And so we want kind of a unifying theme, but also something that has latitude for each speaker to develop their own message. So they're not having to be just a a real layering piece of a series. So last year we did God's story, went through the summer um, through each book of the Bible or each section of the Bible. This year we're doing Psalms. It gave us enough territory to cover and still it gave speakers a lot of latitude to develop a message that could be topical and could kind of fit their uh, particular way of speaking and their study style. And so it has a little bit of cohesion um, in that we're in Psalms, but it also has a, a good amount of variety, even for the church. A, a series that's 13 weeks that's on one theme or one thing can get really long, but this isn't, I don't think this is going to feel long at all because it's such distinct topics every week. Yeah, it's kind of the ultimate when it comes to topical speaking. You can go through the Psalms and it has, well, just about everything but sex, apparently. <laughs> and, um, but you really hit this week on, I think, the topic that most people think of when they think of the Psalms, and that's the theme of worship. So what was that like for you to be able to put that kind of thing together? You're really closely connected in in some ways with our worship ministry with, you know, Corey Parnell is, is your son-in-law, and so you probably have an interesting perspective when it comes to worship within within the church. Yeah, I didn't want to speak this one. It felt like I heard Evan mention to Pastor Steve, I think last week, like teaching out of Psalms is like teaching on God. It's hard to find it. And I feel that way about teaching on worship. It's just so broad, and I'm not a worship leader. I am a worshiper, and it's always meant a lot to me. But I initially, I really felt like I don't want another worship pastor to to speak this message because it's a little bit like the Mormons coming to your door and trying to convince you that Mormonism is good. <laughs> you know, we always like, oh, yeah, you're the worship guy. And so you want to earn your paycheck and you want people to do right. what you want them to do. And so I thought it was really good that somebody not in worship do the message. I just didn't really want it to be me. But <laughs> luck of the draw, I sure. ended up, and then it was a good, it was a good message to research and study and look at some of the history of worship in the church and how the Psalms have played into that. And it was a good chance even to kind of affirm our worship team and how and you guys are both a part of that, leading worship at our church, but how much they care about the theology of worship. I think it's been really, I think it was good in the long run. What do you guys think about worship as a culture in the church right now? Do you think, uh, I guess I'll just put it this way really simply, do you think we worship well 
as a church in maybe American culture, I guess I could say, or Northwest culture, maybe even just specifically at West Side? Do you think we worship well when it comes to uh, maybe the theology of it? <laughs> or, you know, do we worship well? I, I think that, uh, like both said in her message, uh, Corey, the rest of the team on, on the worship side of things do a really good job of selecting theologically sound songs and leading in a really, you know, uh, skillful way that most churches, a lot of churches don't have that kind of opportunity to have the caliber of worship that we have. Um, however, I think it's kind of, it's a funny thing to quantize, like, how well does this church worship? Right. You know, what are you looking at? Totally. Uh, to decide the quality of the worship coming from kind of that corporate, the, the entire maybe body. Maybe that's a better question. Can we even quantify that? Because I think it's something, at least for me, I think about my own personal worship. I go, you know, I want to worship well, I want to do this as best as I can. I want to grow in it. And it can be difficult to quantify when it comes to an entire congregation or a church. Yeah, and I think we are suffering maybe a little bit now from such a huge deluge of really brilliant worship stuff and styles and leaders. And it's really easy to pick a camp in that and think there's one way that's right. And when you look back at the history of the Psalms playing out in worship in the church, they like, they worship to Psalm 24 every Monday and they worship to a different Psalm every day. They were just like this one way to do it. Israel had one way to do it, but we've got all these ways. And, and I think that that's, that's good. There's some real, there's abundance in that and new songs every week. I'm really thankful though, that our worship team, I feel like never picks the musicianship of it, the excellence of it above the ability of the crowd to adapt. Mm -hmm. I think that we're really careful about like having the top 100 and, and not picking all new songs all the time where somebody who's coming in, I think the average is like once a month or every three weeks, someone actually shows up at church here on a weekend. They just can't adapt that fast to new things. And so it's like, they're always a stranger. Like I mentioned in my message, like you always feel like a tourist and never like a part of the actual country. You don't have the language of the community. And discipleship is language. We learn so much of what we know about God from the songs we sing. And so I think that it's really important that we make sure sometimes we sacrifice our need to do the newest, coolest thing um, for the greater good of developing a worshiping church. Mm-hmm. And you talked about hymns kind of in that light, how they're not you know somehow holy just because they're old, and they're not necessarily have better theology just because they use older language. And yet, um, I think... Maybe some of the draw of hymns is that familiarity. Yeah. You know, when, when the church sings it together, something that's been around for a hundred years, there's a good chance a lot of folks know that song and can join in without having to be staring at the screen and trying to follow along something unfamiliar. Yeah, and it calls upon some deep moment in their life mm-hmm. that they experienced as they came into faith or as they met with God maybe for the first time or a, a significant time. And new songs, you have to develop moments around those new songs as you go. And if you're committed, I'm in this and I'm going every weekend, I'm a part of this, you'll do that. But if you're not, I think you really do long for what feels like home to you and what feels like you can sing it without having to think too much. And I think an important part of our worship is that remembering peace. We remember what God has done, and sometimes those songs can connect us to those moments uh, in more than just an intellectual way, but an emotional connection way to something that God did in our lives. Uh, And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not fighting for only hymns by any means, but I think that familiarity of some of our songs, which we do a good job of, can help that kind of stringing the events of your life together in a way that, yeah. that goes deeper than just remembering. Well, it's funny because I'm kind of, 
uh, I'm, I just turned 29. So I'm going through kind of the evolutionary process of uh, growing up in the church. I've got a lot of songs under my belt, so to speak. And I can feel myself starting to do the thing that bothered me and, you know, quote unquote, older people for so much, you know, because of the <laughs> hymns. And I've led a Welcome. bunch of worship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you, you get the people being like, well, you know, we, if we, we need to sing how great thou art every single time, blah, blah, blah. And now I've gotten to this point where I'm just like, yeah, what happened to the good old days? Yeah, the golden years Lord, of I worship. Lord, I lift your name on high, yeah. somebody. Yeah, remember when we sang Came to My Rescue every weekend? Shine, Jesus, shine. And it's true. I have these important songs in my life all of a sudden that I look back on and I go, oh, that meant something to me. And I can tie it to an era of my life. I can tie it to a moment where God was doing something powerful. But then I find myself having to be like, ah, but we got to make sure that we're we're going with the culture forward, that we're not just staying exactly where we are because the church is growing old and people are going away and new people are coming in and we're, we're continuing kind of this cycle and they need their own How Great mm-hmm. Thou Art and they need their own Came to My Rescue and it's important to to help facilitate that going forward. Yeah, no matter what we do, we're going to leave somebody behind. There's just that piece. Like if we lead all hymns, we're going to leave my son behind who doesn't know hymns. And if we lead all new songs, we're going to leave my parents behind. And so we have to know how do we include people and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit as we go. I think it's important what you said. I think a lot of people you see will get stuck even in the fashion of a certain era. And if you look at the era where they're stuck in the fashion of the hair, it's when they fell in love. That's when you feel good about yourself, when your life wow. was changed, we, you get stuck in that. And you can do that with worship as well. I remember when my life was coming alive in college with worship, and it was many of those songs of the New Charismatic Renewal and singing them at City Bible Church. And, and they stick in me as just wow. being this really beautiful moment of falling in love with the Holy Spirit. And But I have to be willing to see what else is out there. It's funny there you can and it's I love that you tied it to fashion because there can be just like when it comes to music in the church there's almost like a self-righteousness about it. Like yeah. no, this is when men wore clothes. <laughs> you know. <laughs> These were the real clothes and it's it's funny I, I think maybe was it you talking about that website the other day that has um you know, when the dad, the original hipster, I think is what the website is called. And it's essentially just people uploading pictures of their dad from the sixties or seventies. And they're like, Oh my gosh, he's wearing what we're wearing. (laughs) You know, it's, it's photo evidence right there. And, um, it's, it's just so interesting to me how we can even get self-righteous about something is something like worship music, you know? Oh, well, these were the real songs and now we don't really kind of worship like we used to back in the day. Right. And it's fine to love those songs. It's just, I think not fine to think that there's something more theologically deep about them. Cause really when you do the work of it and you look, there are hymns that are, are not as closely tied to good theology and there are modern worship songs that are not, you just have to, you have to do the work to make sure it passes muster. Uh, you read a quote from Eugene Peterson I thought was phenomenal this week, and I want to read it and then um, talk about this. Uh, he says, when David organized Israel into a worshiping congregation, 38,000 Levites were assigned to provide the leadership and support required. Prayer in Israel was not left up to individuals to do or not to do uh as they more or less felt inclined. This was a public works project of impressive dimensions. It was neither private nor peripheral. Common worship took precedence over private devotions. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. A hundred. I could feel the crowd when I read that be like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Everything you do in private is better than anything you do in public, but not in Israel. Wow. And uh, growing up in the church, I mean, this was the only message was – you know, do your devotions. <laughs> I'm not the only message, but that that is Thanks, so. Seven. Thanks. Yeah, from you, Bo. All you told. <laughs> uh, but to think of 
the the gathering of a community to worship corporately being more important. Oh my goodness. That's that's kind of and a, it's it's tough when we consider how much we like to be alone today. Oh yeah. no, I can listen. I'll listen to my podcast this week, and oh, I'm doing my devotions. I'm listening to my music. It's in my car. It's with me. It's me. It's me. It's me. Yeah. And to think that it's even to hear someone say that, I kind of felt that even in myself. And I love the corporate worship, but I was like, whoo, ah, yeah, that can't be true, right? Yeah. And Eugene Peterson, I can we talk for a minute about how awesome Eugene Peterson is. I'm a little bit of a fan. Oh my gosh. Um, You're such a nerd though. (laughs) You're such a nerd. (laughs) Um, So much of what God said to Israel, he said, yes, you are a person, but as much as you are a person, you are a people. And so we have to identify our personhood inside being a part of the people of God. And I don't think that has changed. I don't think that's a post-cross adjustment, that we still are a part of the people. Uh, what is it, First Peter? You are a peculiar people. You're identified with a group of people that don't look like everyone else. And as you worship, as you contribute to that society, you become more of the person you are called mm. to be. And so... And it- it seems like that concept is lost uh, in Western culture today because everything's so individualized. Mm-hmm. It's all about my custom curated life. And it's, I, in my opinion, when we step into worship as a community, it, by very nature of it being a community, we have to kind of lay down some of that individuality that sometimes I think can create a, a block to really understanding our place and and kind of lay down that pride that says, this is all about me. This mm-hmm. is about my experience in God and my relationship with Jesus. And well, maybe it's, it is the people, it is the church um, and not all about, you know, what I take away from this today. And I think it's important to worship through the inconvenience as well. I think it's important to go through the inconvenience of traffic in church and parking and the person that sings off key behind you, or maybe you're the person that sings off key and doesn't want to sing because there's someone in front of you. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to to work through those things because there's something incredible at the other end of it. And it's kind of like, you know, I'm a big sports guy and people are talking more and more like, oh, well, I mean, why attend sporting events? HDTV is just so good and you get all the camera angles. Yeah. And then you get in the arena during an exciting game. And I don't care if you can't see the field, you know, yeah. Feeling the rush of adrenaline, the voices and the excitement and strangers hugging strangers, you know, there's something about the community of it that is incredibly important that we can't discount. Yeah, I can't get behind strangers hugging strangers, but beyond that, I'm all. <laughs> I like with to you watch. Okay, I like to watch. <laughs> I, I can't get behind going to sports <laughs> events. Uh, in public, I know. So. I knew it was going to fall apart <laughs> when on, I started ben, talking about that it. Analogy. You're geeking out about Eugene Peterson. <laughs> I just want to talk about Russell Wilson. <laughs> I think that every time we go into a corporate worship service and sing a song that isn't our favorite, which is going to be most of the songs, we have. I don't want to over-spiritualize, but I think we become a little more like Jesus in saying, I died on my right to have it exactly the way I want. I join together with these people who are worshiping the same God I love in a way that I wouldn't choose to worship him right now. I wouldn't choose to sit, stand. I hate to be bossed around in worship. I really do. I've got a thing about that. I don't like it when they tell me, raise your hands. No, everybody do this. Everybody say, turn to your neighbor and say, I will never say it. I will always (laughs) just be like, I usually say to them, Pastor Steve thinks I'm saying what he just told me to say, but I never say it. I just don't like to be bossed around, and that's not okay in me. And so this is good for me, this week after week thing of coming in and saying we're singing this song that I wouldn't choose to sing right now, and I'm going to sing it in a true key I wouldn't choose to sing it in. And it's it's a little bit of death that I think brings life. And I think the Psalms are pretty bossy 
all the way Pretty through. Pretty bossy. I mean, that's a good way mm-hmm, to put it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they Talk really about are bossy worship leaders. The authors of the Psalms, absolutely, they're pretty specific. Especially when you talk about the last few Psalms, it's all telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, sing to the Lord this way, play this instrument, do yeah. this, say yeah. this at this time, and say to sure. your own soul what yeah. you want your own soul to do. Yeah, and that's kind of what it feels like. It comes down to a lot of times with the Psalms is. And I think David is hitting on what you talked about, that dying to yourself. It's, no, you need to look at your soul and tell your soul what to do right now. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like it. Your mind, your will, and your emotions aren't there. They're not engaged. But you have to look at it and just say, look, this is what we're going to do. I will yet praise him. Yeah. My Lord, my God, this is the time to do that. Which which kind of brings me to, you, you talked about, um, one of the other hot topics, at least among us as worship leaders, I feel like we're just using this conversation, at least I am, to, <laughs> to vent some of the worship leader <laughs> stuff. Um, but I, I've often heard the conversation of, hey, why are we seeing so many of these songs about us, you know, and, and what God is doing for us? Why don't we just sing to Jesus? Um, and, and you mentioned that kind of, you took a section of your, your sermon to talk about that. What, what is, is there theology behind that? Because it seems to me that in the Psalms that it's kind of, that everything is kind of all included in that. Yeah, there are places where David talks about the glory of God, especially the glory of God in creation, the things that he's created, but he almost always brings it back to what God has truly done and what God does, he does for us, he does for people. So if we're going to sing at all about God in any meaningful way, it's going to eventually come back to us because God existing in a vacuum, making stars and moons and cool fish and things really does not impact our life outside of the aesthetics of it. What God exists for is relationship with mankind. So our worship songs will always be focused both directions. They just will. I think that that's a part of it. And I think we have, especially a generation that's dying to know what is the relevance of having a God who's majestic if it doesn't impact and intersect with my life. So I don't, I don't love that argument. And I don't think it's biblical to say that when we sing about us, it's not, it's not God centered. I think it is. And we're not usually singing, I'm so great. Right. We're usually singing, I'm so lost. Yeah, there's a line in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and you talked about the nature of worship being a uh, look at Jesus moment, not look at the band. Um, although I think probably people would criticize churches like ours for being uh, quote unquote performance driven, uh, just the nature of a uh, big stage and cool lights and a good sound system that that shouts kind of concert to some people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, behind the scenes, I know the heart of this and of our worship teams is not that. Uh, and then you talked about when you get to the the message, when the preacher gets up and speaks, talk about a moment when it's really all about the speaker. Like mm-hmm. at me, yep. Twice as long as worship mm-hmm. uh, with one person on stage and everyone's focusing on what they have to say for a long time, but no one says that's a performance typically. So kind of interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. And there, you know, there are some churches that won't do the big screen thing because they believe in the priesthood of the believer. So once you put somebody up at 50 feet, you've exalted that person above the people, you know, and I think really when we read through the temple and the instructions for it and Isaiah six, where smoke is going and cherubim are landing and all kinds of things. I mean, this, this, I think it's okay when we say we want this to be beautiful. We want this to bring us all into this lovely place. This is who we are right now in our culture. And whatever brings us to Jesus is good. Now, 
Having said that, Jesus said, there is a generation that worships me with their mouth, but their hearts are far from me. Mm. So it is incumbent on leaders to always say, no matter how we do this, whether we do it in completely organically, a barefoot guy on the stage with a ukulele and no one else, no sound system, no anything, or we do a full worship team and lights and smoke and mirrors, are our hearts with him? And I don't think that has a single thing to do with the trappings of it. As long as we recognize them as just a container that brings us either toward Jesus or away from him, then I think it's okay. We just have to always be aware of our hearts with him. And it's, I think, easy for us to get caught up in the trappings and disagreements and arguments about the trappings when really that experience in Christ, our relationship with him, the expression of worship, I, I think is much deeper. It's on a whole transcendent level yeah. to what's happening physically in the room with the aesthetics. Of yeah. It. And it, it can, it, it can get out of control for a leader too. You know, if you're listening to this and you're just wondering, you know, does that happen? And, you know, am I just supposed to believe that all these leaders hearts are prepared and they're all right? And well, I'm not saying that you just have to believe that everyone, but I can vouch for the leadership within our church and spending ample amount of time with them. They're ready. They, their hearts are there. It's not about the lights and the and the smoke or the whatever. We don't have smoke. We don't but, have smoke. We just um, make that clear. Maybe next time. Single yeah. people can't have sex and we don't have smoke. <laughs> it's out there. But I've been there myself and you, you do. You want to fall in love with that. Everybody's looking at me. They think mm-hmm. I sing well. Uh, they uh, would they like my preaching or my teaching or whatever? And really, what it came down to for me is a, a pastor came up to me and he said, "Hey, I want you to understand something for the rest of your life in ministry. You have to ask yourself: Do I want to inform and educate and inspire and empower people to love Jesus more, or do I want to entertain and do I want to um, do I want to perform just?" myself up there. And to continually ask yourself that because it's going to be difficult for people to always see the difference when you're telling a joke, you know, it's not just for the sake of your own whatever, but but you have to check your own heart and really it does. It comes down you have kind of have to trust that the leaders have moved in that direction themselves. All right. So, last couple of minutes, Bo. Uh favorite psalm all time. Favorite psalm of all time, 46, God is very present, help in time of trouble. Mm -hmm. Just brilliant psalm. Interesting in that it says David writes this, he talks about Moab in that psalm, and there's just this whole thing about where Moab was, and who. it's just a beautiful, beautiful psalm and has so much rescue in it. And so during my kind of four-year battle with my husband's illness, it was my go-to when I just couldn't focus on anything. And the psalms really did get me through that time of just like giving me a tether to the presence of God when I couldn't form words words on my own. Um, So yeah, I would say that one's big. And also, gosh, 23. And you know how you want to have the unique psalm that nobody has said? Like, I know you've probably never heard this one before. (laughs) It's so lovely. But um, 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. It's just, what a brilliant line. What if I only had that part of the Bible to live the rest of my life on? That could take me a long ways. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And uh, a, a worship song, Contemporary worship song with bad theology. Oh, <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. We're going to forward it to the artist. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, good. Oh, that's perfect. I'd like to make a lot of enemies. Um, I don't uh, – Are there? I know there are some songs that I sometimes trip over singing like – and Corey will come to my office sometimes and say, can somebody – who's going through a really hard time, sing this part of it. Like, mm. uh, oh, 
you never let go. You're mm-hmm. that kind of idea of like you are always there and you're always faithful and you always work it out when there are people who have lost children and you know and so we really think about that not just is that theology good Sh- yes but can someone sing that without having that moment pastored in um, so we we like to take those sweeping statements and at least explain them to people. Maybe you don't feel like God has worked it all out, but He is with you in it. So yeah. I guess that's my best answer to that. What's a What's of- a song or a piece of a song that gets you excited theologically? Do you ever do that when you're you're yeah. listening to worship music and it pops up on the oh, screen? You yeah. go, Oh, I'm nailed it! This song. That's yes. it. <laughs> well, I okay. Wit and Corey wrote the song. Uh, you are always faithful. You will never leave. And what is the bridge to it? Because uh, should an enemy rise? Yeah, come that's my, life. my favorite song right now. Every time awesome. it's just like, yeah, I will lift my eyes. You never leave me. And I know when they wrote that song, and I know what was happening in our whole family and what was going on all around us. And it's such a statement of profound faith. Mm. I love that song right now. And I love What a Beautiful Name. I really do. I was telling Lila on the way here. Such a good song. I remember our worship team saying the chorus doesn't rise very much. So people, and so we put it aside for a while and now it's kind of back. And I really love it. I think it's lovely. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) That takes me back to, did you guys listen to the gospel song? That was Jesus, what a beautiful name. Rescued my soul. He's my stronghold. I first heard that song. I was like, oh, that takes me back to that. Mm -hmm. See, so sometimes contemporary worship, it connects you even to the old stuff that you liked. There you go. I've come full circle. I don't know about you guys. (laughs) You're such an old soul, Ben. (laughs) At all of your 29 years. That's amazing. Well, we have a lot more in the Psalms this summer. We're just at the beginning of this. Looking forward to many more discussions on this. Uh, If you haven't checked out BehindTheMessage.org, please do that, and we will see you next week.